for anywhere from $30, but it was tend to be in that $40 to $45 range in Massachusetts. You look at the competition there at $55, $60. So we just continue to take share because this is a market that has an 80-20 rule where 80% of the product is consumed by 20% of the consumers. And that 20% is very price sensitive. And if you can give them a, a, a great product at a terrific price, it really puts you in a good position to take share. From the PodConnect studios, high in the Rockies at the beautiful Beaver Creek Resort, it's the Raising Cannabis Capital Show. Today on Raising Cannabis Capital, we are joined by Andrew Toot, the Chief Investment Officer at Forefront Ventures. Andrew, welcome to the show. Thank you, Dan. Great to be here. It's great to have Forefront back on the show. We had Chris Crane on about three years ago, but so much has happened since then. For our new listeners, Forefront Ventures is a publicly traded multi-state operation with facilities in five and I believe soon to be six states. I guess that's a good place for us to jump in today and, and to get things started. Let's talk about the challenges of running a national cannabis company. National cannabis chains don't realize a lot of the traditional economy of scale benefits because cannabis is still federally illegal. So for instance, you can't have one centralized cultivation facility because you can't cross state lines. That's right. Give us some other examples of challenges that cannabis MSOs have to deal with that other industries don't. Every aspect of this business is harder than you think it's going to be. From <laughs> going into a town where you think you're going to open a retail location that's zoned properly for cannabis, and you're going to see you know all sorts of pushback from the town planning boards and you have to go to town planning meetings where there's going to be a lot of opposition. Banking has been a huge problem in this industry. You can generally find a, a bank in, in any given state who will give you business banking services, but not a lot of banks would give you equipment financing loans. You go from there to personal stories of, of officers of some of these companies like myself. I've been a Fidelity brokerage client for over 20 years. And I was buying some of our stock in my own portfolio in the open market a year or so ago. And they figured out I was a cannabis executive and they shut down my account. And the stories go on. Our, our chief operating officer, he's applying for a mortgage. He got rejected. So there's friction at every single point in this industry. And while it's frustrating and we all bemoan the struggle, it really is what has created the opportunity as well. There is a silver lining there. Well, I was just going to say those added burdens make things difficult, but they also create, as we talked about before, a moat around successful MSOs. The barrier to entry is so great for new companies. And as an established MSO, you have a huge advantage. Do you think there's still opportunities for new MSOs or is it just too late? No, I don't think so. First off, there are a lot of states that have started their medical programs, but they're still going to waiting to go flip rec. So you have states that are still left to come, and then the cream needs to rise to the top. So you can have an operator that was doing a really nice job in Colorado or, or Washington State or California who knows how to really operate these businesses, who has worked in a competitive environment, figured out how to produce products at a great price that people like, and they can go into states like a Massachusetts or a Pennsylvania. So it's not over for them. Three years ago, 
MedMen and Ianthus were the two of the bellwethers in this space. And the equity holders basically got wiped out and, and new leadership has fallen in behind it. So it's going to continue to be dynamic. One of my old bosses used to say, the pioneers get all the arrows and we've taken our, our fair share of arrows. But our market position in a lot of the states that we're in, we've been able to solidify. And I think that we have a, a pretty good head start on folks. And you also have an advantage because you guys are experts at getting licenses. You're experts at regulations. You've dealt with different municipalities having different rules and adjusting your team and your operations within those municipalities and also with dialing down your costs and your facilities. And I, I think that's one advantage that you do have is that you can transfer some of that tax throughout your organizations. Have you been able to apply some of your, say, successful cultivation processes from one state to another? Absolutely. So the thesis of Forefront is we're in five states hoping to be six here shortly. But our facilities in Washington state, which is a very competitive market that was not limited license, basically anyone who applied for a license when that state went recreational got one. And so there's a lot of supply that came in to that market and pricing got hammered. It got very competitive very quickly. And our facilities in Washington are the number two flower producer in that state, the number one producer of, of edibles. We have 25 different brands and I believe we're top 10 in every single category in Washington. And so in a state like that, you have to figure out how you're going to make money and compete. And over the six years in Washington, we've honed our cultivation methodologies such that we're yielding in our facilities close to 400 grams a square foot in our cultivation facilities. We think that's about double the MSO average. We have all of these great products which have demonstrable market share in Washington. And so the thesis has been, wow, let's replicate what we've done in Washington into these less competitive limited license states. And we have tried and true SOPs and brands. Let's take this on the road. And so the first proof of concept that those SOPs and brands would travel was our entrance into Massachusetts. Mm -hmm. Forefront has two grow and production facilities there, along with two dispensaries, a third open in the summer. And we introduced all of the brands to Massachusetts about eight months ago. All of our grow methodologies were, were introduced to Massachusetts about 15 months ago. And the reception to the products and brands has been fantastic. And then you look at what's happened to our yields in the facilities in terms of how much production we can get per square foot. We took our yield for in our Georgetown, Massachusetts facility from about 150 grams per square foot up near 400. So we actually exceeded what we did in Washington. That's great. So it gives us a lot of confidence as a management team and in a business that what our facilities were able to do in Washington is replicatable. And we're just very excited to have more assets to sprinkle that pixie dust over. It's got to give you a lot of confidence, especially when you look at your peers, your margins are probably a lot better. Yes. We grow for about 65 cents a gram in Washington. A gram of cannabis is wholesaled in Massachusetts for, I don't know, $7. So <laughs> we have a lot of wiggle room to not only have great margins, but to also lead on price. And if you lead on price in this industry, there's a lot of price elasticity, which is a fancy way for saying... If you can give people a great product at a fantastic price, you're going to take a lot of market share. And you look around the Massachusetts market, we will sell an eighth of flour for anywhere from 
$30, but we tend to be in that $40 to $45 range in Massachusetts. You look at the competition, they're at $55, $60. So we just continue to take share because this is a market that has an 80-20 rule where 80% of the product is consumed by 20% of the consumers. And that 20% is very price sensitive. And if you can give them a, a, a great product at a terrific price, it really puts you in a good position to take share. Let's talk about expansion. You're close to getting the next license in New Jersey. Now, will most of your expansion be done organically or will you work, look at maybe acquisitions or maybe partnering with companies in other states? We're hopeful on, on how things go in, in New Jersey, which would be our sixth state. And we have a pretty clear path to value creation, just growing our business organically within those states, whether that's opening new stores, expanding our processing and cultivation capacities so we can be a wholesaler. But two parts of that question, I guess, where do we stand on M&A? We have said to the market that we think that we have a really unique skill set and we have products that have been tried and true and have resonated with consumers in one of the most competitive markets in the country in Washington. And we think that we can go into most states and take our fair share of, of the market. And so we've told folks that we want to be bigger and whether that means bolting on additional assets within our core states or taking incremental states in a measured growth strategy as we expand outside of our core six, uh, or we think that we would be a very good fit within a large organization as well. There are companies out there that have gone on roll-up sprees, getting assets in as many states as they could, but they don't have consolidated growing methodologies. They don't have a product portfolio that's sort of unified across a platform. And so we think that a lot of our expertise could be applied to a larger portfolio and we could create a lot of value in that way. I know from an investor standpoint, that kind of talk is very attractive because there's so much opportunity, especially for your company being publicly traded. Uh, a retail investor looking at this opportunity says, wow, they're priced at today's price, but geez, look down the road with all these states coming on. And I think the opportunity is pretty good at this point. People look at this $100 billion cannabis market and they say, geez, okay, we've got GTI and we've got Cureleaf and we've got Leaf. Who else in this group has great growth dynamics, has a lot of runway in front of us and are proven operators? I think that we fit that bill to a T. Put it on your investment hat. You look at this industry and trading at low to mid-teens EBITDA multiples of next year for 50 to 100% top line growth, there's a real disconnect in this industry. So I think not only does Forefront have a chance to close the gap of the discount that we trade to some of the bigger guys, but I think the whole industry is potentially undervalued. And as legalization and banking and those things continue to push down the tracks, I think this industry has a whole lot of room for multiple expansion as well. Well, that's really exciting. I know you got everyone's attention and I'm going to have Andrew's information and Forefront's information in the show notes, including their stock symbol information. So if, if, if anybody wants to pursue this further, go to their website. There's a lot of information for investors on their website and also check out their products. This is a one-stop shop. Andrew, thanks for being on the show today. Dan, thanks for having us. It's been a ball and I look forward to coming back soon. Thanks for listening to today's show. 
To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hey there, my name is Leah Babrudi, and I'm the founder and host of Chicks Podcast, where I discuss cannabis, psychedelics, and other natural medicines. I not only interview people who use them as treatment for different conditions, but also the entrepreneurs who share their knowledge on how they built their businesses. If this sounds interesting to you, give my show a listen. I'm sure you'll learn something that'll surprise you.